0: thankful that Jesus is on our side this morning. Amen. that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever this morning, amen. There is nothing that can shake our God, nothing that can move our God. Lord, I'm so thankful, Jesus. I'm so thankful, Lord, we worship you. So the other day, I went to Menards, the great place of masks. So my mom gave me a mask the other day to go into Menards, and it was made in China. (laughs) But anyway, I put it on and it smelled like apples and cinnamon. And I'm like, man, I'm just going to wear this all the time. <laughs> but uh, went to uh, Menards the other day and uh, was looking for some totes. Um, we're uh, finally getting some time to clean out our garage and organize it. And I'm building some shelves. And, and so I went there and I went to the area where the totes are. And they were out of what I was looking for. But they had a bazillion lids for that tote. So. How many, when you go somewhere like Walmart or Menards or Lowe's or Target or something, you need help that you find somebody, but they don't really want to help you. And like, you just feel like you're burdening them (laughs) to say, hey, can you give me a hand? There was a guy there and um, he was just running around ragged. He had a ladder and all this kind of stuff. And I just felt bad. I'm like, I just don't want to ask him. But I'm like, I did. So I said, hey, I went on the app and it shows that you have 73 of these things. Well, first I went up to him and I said... Hey, do you mind helping me? And he's like, there is, he was sarcastic, but he was kind of laughing. he's like, there is nothing else I would rather do. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) And, uh, but then we just, and so then I asked him, I said, hey, you know, there's no totes here. Um, It's showing that there's 73 or 72 online. And he goes online. He's like, yeah. And he's like, thinking and thinking and thinking. He's like, oh, the pool area. So we go over there and there's just tons of them there. And I'm like, man, thank you so much. I said, how are you doing through all this? He said, you know, he's like, I just live every day as if I'm just alive. And, and I said, yeah, you know, I said, we got to have that attitude that when we wake up that we're alive. And, and I started thinking about that on my way out to the truck. And as immediately as I walked out, took my mask off so I could breathe. and And I was just saying, God, I'm just so thankful that no matter what's happening in this world, that i wake up in the morning and i have salvation i wake up in the morning that knowing that you hold me in the palm of your hand and that is just more than enough for me and church i'm so thankful for what god is especially during this time that's been going on these uncertain times how god has still been so faithful how god has been so um just his spirit just moving alive in us and for us to respond tell you that right now that's for us to have the church arise and, and rise up and respond to God. And I'm so thankful for his presence and church. I know that he is our way maker. How many believe that I need some Pentecostal people in here? All right. How many believe that Jesus is our way maker? Amen. Father, I'm so thankful that we can come and to experience your presence and to be in your presence. And Father, I pray right now that you just move in a mighty way this morning as we honor you, as we love you, as we thank you, as we pour our love towards you, oh God. Come on right now, just with hands lifted in this room, come on, just thank Him, just magnify him, just praise him for all that he has done. you are here moving in Lord. do you believe it I
1: worship
0: Jesus that we serve. this morning singing you are way come on lift your voice my god I want you to sing this with me Yes. even when I see it your word. that's who you believe he is. Come on, just celebrate his name.
1: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
0: With every breath, come on, lift it up. As we see all we have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand. Lord, may we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Give someone an air high five this morning. It's great to
1: have everybody here.
2: Lauren. Okay, I got
3: it, Dad. Okay, don't forget to carry the one. Dad. Okay, that was delicious. Thank you. Right, hold on there, kiddo.
1: Dad. Say cheese. Jeez. There you go.
2: Okay, just one more. Hold your trophy up a little bit higher.
1: Dad.
2: Good morning, good morning, good morning! It's time to rise and shine! Dad!
3: Dad! (laughs) No idea what happened, there's more to that. It's actually pretty good, so sorry you don't get to see it. check it online we'll do it later how many of you have been a how many of you dads have been a dad I think that's our role I think it's the role of a father not to provoke your children to anger but to be that voice of reason and restraint that says that's too far let's pull it back together And to lead our children in the ways of righteousness. That's the role that a father has. So dads, we're so glad that you're here today. Let's give it up for dads this morning. Can I hear your hands? Let's give it up for dads. We have a gift for each of our dads this morning. Not here in the building because with social distancing, you know that everything is changing. But we have a gift of ice cream for you at Over the Top. And so here's what you need to do here. Yeah, you're not a dad yet. <laughs> this is for the dads. Text DAD to 84321. DAD to 84321. You'll get a text back from us with a keyword, word, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or something like that. And then you can take that to Over the Top Ice Cream, and they will give you a single scoop of ice cream of your choosing with that over-the-top choice on top. So um, you can do that now. You can do that later today. That will be available for the next, I think we have it open for the next 30 days. Um, So take advantage of it. You only get one use, though. I need to clarify that. That's not once a day for 30 days. That's once. All right. So feel free to text us, and we'll text back to you. And those of you that are watching online, again, text DAD to 84321. And we will send back a key word to you that you can take to to, over-the-top ice cream. Please take advantage of that, even if you have to sneak out of the house. Take advantage of the ice cream. Want all of our dads to stand, if you would, please. All of our dads to stand. And I just want to pray for you. Thank you, men of God, for being in the house of God today. Glad that you're here. Give our dads a hand one more time. Will you do that? Do you stretch your hand toward a dad and let's pray for our dads. Lord, we're thankful for men who have taken on the mantle of being a father. Not just fathering a child, but making a choice to be a dad. To lead their children in the ways of righteousness and to model that by worshiping in front of them, either here in the building or joining digitally online. Making an expression of their faith by gathering together to worship you. I pray, God, that your anointing of leadership and wisdom would abide upon them, that they will be used by you for the kingdom's sake, and that you will bring blessing and anointing and an outpouring of your favor on their lives as they walk with you in this coming year. Thank you for our dads in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless you. you and be seated. Oh, we had the wrong information up. Well, this is a banner morning, isn't it? Let's, uh, (laughs) don't text it to 84321. That won't work. Um, Text it to 515-512-8878 online and here uh, in the building, 515-512-8878 and get your ice cream. All right, everybody that's got that, raise your hand. And uh, now we've got that was four people. <laughs> Everybody that has it, let me see your hand, all right, and uh, you'll get your ice cream. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Ezra, and uh, I, I am <clears throat> not sure why Nehemiah, I mean, I'm sure why Nehemiah and Esther get all of the attention that they got, but Ezra is a phenomenal study in rising in worship, coming From a period of time when corporate worship couldn't happen. When the nation of Israel is in quarantine in Babylon and then in Persia. And after 70 years, God creates social change and moves on the heart of Cyrus the king that had been prophesied 150 years previously. Prophesied that God would send his people back to their land. Chapter 1 is the opening of that. Chapter 2, they assemble together, they're joining together to begin the work. They show up after a long journey, they give generously, they're organized by family and by ministry calling, and so then we come to chapter 3. In chapter 3 now, they've spent several months getting established in their homes, in their various cities and towns, and they're ready to do the work. We know that the start of something is very important, but the end of a thing is more important. I've had people in ministry come alongside to help me over the years, and I, here's a comment I hate. Please don't bring it to me. I am good at starting things, I'm not good at finishing things. So if you let me, I'll start a lot of things, and then you can find someone else to finish it. You know what you call that? A pain in the neck, is what you call that. It's not really helpful. It's not just the start of a thing that matters, it's the finish of a thing. One of the things that creates dissonance and tension in the life of an individual is to have open circles in your life. Psychologically, you can read the studies. What does that mean? It means when you start a project and you get it to about 90% and you don't finish it and you go on to something else, the number of open circles in your life will reflect directly on whether or not you have peace or you have stress. Because even in your subconscious mind, your mind will be telling you, that you have projects that need to be finished. And so if you're a 90%er in the sense of not completing the task, it's not enough to start something. You've got to finish it. So the start of a thing is good, but it's the completion that matters. And in chapter 3, the start of a thing begins. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 22 that we'll be hated of all men for Jesus sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. How many of you remember that old, I think it was the Wolf's Wolf song, not the one who runs the swiftest nor the one that shines for a day, but the one that endures to the end, he shall be saved. Some people thought that scripture. It's scripturally based, but it's a, a musical lyric that it's not just the flash in the moment, but it's commitment to finish the course. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. The end of a thing is better than its beginning, The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So the end of a thing is better than the beginning. What am am I trying to establish here? That in the beginning, you have to understand that when you start something, you need to start it with a mindset to finish it. You don't go to war without counting the cost. You don't build a building without counting the cost. I can't tell you. How many churches in America, in the Assemblies of God, have failed because they started to build without counting the cost? Someone said about starting and finishing that start is the indicator of the courage of an individual end is the indicator of success. I want to read that again. Start is the indicator of the courage of an individual end is the indicator of success. So the title of the message this morning is when unity ends in division when unity ends in division it's not enough to start in unity come on someone help me this morning because it's going to get quieter in a little bit (laughs) may as well help me now (laughs) it's one thing to start in unity it's another thing to finish in unity read the book of acts they started in unity in chapter 2 and at the end of the chapter they finish in unity, and 3,000 men and women, or or 3 or 5,000, it's a bunch, that come to faith in Christ by the end of the chapter because they finished the way that they started, they continued in unity. So how does church unity become church division? How many would like to know that? (laughs) Okay, well, I guess we're done. (laughs) Nope, don't want to know that? Oh, it's going to be so fun. This is going to be a fun ride this morning. I'm, I'm so look forward to be able to preach that, which normally means it's not going to go over well. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Two experiences, both involve unity. In chapter three, it starts with unity at the altar and moves to unity at the temple. And I want you to watch the development as we begin with unity at the altar in the first six verses. Of Ezra chapter 3 they assembled in unity look at verse 1 of chapter 3 when the seventh month came the Israelites had settled in their towns the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem that is a wonderful verse of scripture in fact I don't know how you read that and not think about Acts chapter 2 When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. There's something powerful that happens when the church assembles in unity. The Bible has much to say about the power of unity. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good, I'm going to extrapolate, how good and how pleasant is it for a husband and wife to dwell together in unity. Somebody say amen now. Don't point, just say amen. How good and how pleasant it is for families, mom, dad, and children to dwell together in unity. The, (laughs) The time that that's the easiest is when those kids are still in the cradle. But then they start to have opinions and ideas of their own. And how many parents, dads, how many, how many of you have noticed that as your children got older, you got dumber? Come on. And then there's a moment where they think, maybe dad knew something. By that time, it's too late. But how good and how pleasant it is for families to dwell together in unity how good and how pleasant it is for board members to dwell together in unity how good and how pleasant it is for staff members to dwell together in unity and how good and how pleasant it is for us to gather together this morning in unity and I know we have a disagreement of opinion about COVID how many of you hate social distancing let me see your hand All right, how many of you are willing to cooperate? Let me see both your hands, at least at some level, at some level, willing to cooperate. And I know, but that shouldn't affect our unity when we come together to worship. How good and how pleasant it is to join together in worship. I could go on and on and on with that. It is a wonderful, pleasant thing when you join together in unity. We have a great staff. We have a great board And I I can't remember the last time that I dreaded a board meeting. And I've said I've never had a bad board. I've had a few board members that were sketchy over the years. But I've always looked forward to that because I'm convinced that the leaders ought to dwell together in unity. And if they can't, they need to stay at the table until they get to a place of unity. How good and how pleasant it is. Ephesians 4 emphasizes it this way. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What is our job? We're to make every effort as believers to keep the unity of the Spirit. That when we gather together, there's unity among us. (laughs) Oh, dear Jesus, help me this morning. (laughs) When you come in, you come in with a mindset. When you're involved in church activities, you come in with a mindset that I'm going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit because you can't always have your way and have unity. Am I endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? And what did Jesus pray in John 17? That's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. What did he pray for us? He said, I, Jesus, in them, and you, Father, in me, May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's saying that for them to believe that God came from heaven, they're going to have to see something equally supernatural. What is that equally supernatural, unusual thing that the world will see? That's believers who are joining together in unity with each other because that doesn't happen anywhere else hardly at all in our culture. They assembled in unity, and here's what I believe. God's power is released when his church is in unity. God's power is released when the church is in unity. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one accord. Not half of them, not a few of them. And of the number gathered in the upper room, there were so many others that didn't make it to the upper room. And you say, where'd they go? Well, they wouldn't have been able to get to unity. I think God may have dissuaded them because for God to move, there's got to be unity. Where, there are, where two or three are gathered in my name, if any two of you agree, is it touching any one thing? When there's agreement and unity, the power of God's released. Now, second, this is really important here. This paradigm in chapter 3 is vital for healthy worship. It begins in unity. They assemble in unity. Number two, they acknowledge the word of God. This becomes the foundation. Look at what it says in verse 2. Then Joshua, the son of Josedach and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of um, the other person, Shealtiel and his associates began to build the altar of God to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. I don't care what you saw on television at some revival meeting. What I care about is what does the word say? Amen. Amen. It's not about what someone else does. Why well, is at this meeting? And they did this. Could we try that? Let's go back to the book. And all of my life, I've, I've campaigned against this. They say you can't put God in a box. You can't put God in a box. But you'll never find him outside of his book. He's always in the book. He gave that revelation. He'll always be found there. And if you want worship to be healthy, there has to be an agreement among us that this is our all-sufficient rule of faith and conduct. That this is the inspired word of God. And that we build our lives on it and we're anchored to it. And if we did that, it would eliminate a lot of our division. I've said for years that there are two things that govern me when it comes to ministry. One is the Bible, the other is the bylaws. Those are not always the same. But those are what govern us in business, the bylaws in faith and practice, it's the Bible. Let's honor this book when we come together. Is there anyone in the house this morning? This has to be primary. We live in in an age of growing biblical illiteracy that people can tell you who the last A.G.T. winner was that can't tell you that Genesis is in the Old Testament. There's got to be a focus on the Word of God and a coming to it. And when we build worship to start with, not what is the hottest trend, what is the newest thing, what are they doing across town, but saying, what does the Word of God say? And they knew when they came together to rise from the ruins, we have to have unity and we need to be anchored to the Word of God. He should be what governs us. Then third, they address their personal fears. I can promise you that when, when we rise, when others rise, when the church rises out of the ruins or the rubble of life, your internal fears will come to the forefront. Here they're afraid of what the surrounding nations are going to do, and they have a right to be afraid. Look at verse 3. Despite their fear of the people around them they built the altar on its foundation that is such a powerful point there they built the altar on the foundation what it's telling us is the brazen altar was built on the foundation where it originally stood and they're they're going to rebuild from the beginning and they knew that the nations around weren't going to like that remember they'd come from captivity they'd come from bondage but they But instead of letting their fear overwhelm them, they addressed it and overcame it. Do you know how much fear-mongering there is on Facebook? Do you know how much fear-mongering there is on the news? I don't know anywhere where you can get unbiased news anymore, just news reporting. Everything's got a spin and a twist and a commentary attached to it. And there's so much fear-mongering even happening in the church. And what we're trying to strike here is a balance between fear-mongering and prudence. We want to be prudent in what we do, and we want to be honoring to that. But I am not going to live my life in fear that a boogeyman is going to jump out somewhere and get me. Now, having said that, if you find out, God forbid, this is not my confession. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. But if you find out that I get sick tomorrow, and it could be the flu, it could be COVID, it could be something else... I'm not living in fear of that because when it's time to go home, I want to go home. I'm going to a better place. I'd like to stay around here for a while. How many are hearing me right now? I'd like to stay around for a while. I hope the Lord lets me stay. But my life is in His hands, not in the hands of Washington, D.C., or the CDC, or anybody else. It's in His hands. Now, I'm not going to be stupid about my behavior. If you sit on the highway in front of a semi, God will let you die. Hello? But I don't live in fear that a semi is going to crash through my front door and kill me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a balance here. I'm going to do the work of God. I'm going to follow his direction. And when fear rises... And listen, even if fear is based on fact, you don't have to be afraid. Let me say that again. Even if fear is based on fact, it's true. You have a reason to fear. You don't have to be afraid because our lives and times are in his hands. So let's focus on that again. He's going to see us through. Now, if you're being silly, you're being ridiculous, you're going to pay the price for that. But I'm not going to live in fear. <laughs> oh, I've lived in fear. Anybody ever live in fear? I remember first uh, pastorate. I loved doing woodworking and I was making gifts in the basement for Christmas cutting, sanding, staining, finishing. And I'm just, it was a great time, a great place for me to make things and just spend some time. Um, just with my thoughts, and, and during that time coming up toward Christmas, something happened. I, I got this sore throat that wouldn't go away, and I, and I don't want to be gross, but you got to understand the story. I started coughing blood. I'd wake up in the middle of the night convinced I had throat cancer. I was convinced. Wake up. Oh, what is wrong with me? How do you deal with that? Well, if going to a doctor is a good thing. How I know that? But I remember in the middle of the night one night I woke up and I thought, devil, whatever this is, you're done tormenting me. Amen. Whatever it is, you're done tormenting me. I'm not gonna lay here and worry. I have a God who is sufficient, and He has a plan for my life, and you will not torment me. Now I didn't go to the doctor. What happened was after Christmas, I was no longer down in there, discovered I had an allergic reaction to wood dust, and it was coating my throat and inflamed. And I haven't had that problem since. But what I'm saying to you, did God heal me? He healed me of fear. Are you hearing me this morning? When we try to move up, something will create fear in you. Someone's going to want to stop you. What do my family think? What do my friends think? What do my neighbors think? What will God think? Let's not live in fear. They address their fears. Then number four, they appointed celebrations. Again, in accordance with the law of Moses, the man of God, they began to restore worship in alignment with God's word. What a breath of fresh spiritual air that must have been. Think about that. Seventy years without a temple. Seventy years without a brazen altar. Seventy years without a place to worship. What was the brazen altar about? It was a place where blood sacrifices happened. It was a place where their fellowship offerings were offered. Anything that was offered up in that manner happened at the brazen altar, and they haven't been able to do that without the shedding blood. There's no remission of sin. Seventy years of that, and they come together, and they begin to appoint a celebration day. Can you imagine? I mean, we had seven weeks or whatever it was, and and we're about to fall apart and lose our grip on, on life. There's 70 years and they're saying, can you imagine? Come on, someone help me. How exciting that must have been. We're going to have church again. We're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to have a grand old time. Put your shouting clothes on. Put your dancing shoes on. We're going to celebrate the goodness of God. I mean, this is a great day in Israel. They're ready to worship. <laughs> Isn't it good? And I know some are still watching online, and we're glad you're there. And I know everybody has reasons, and I affirm your choices. I'm not suggesting to you you're living in fear. We have to not be foolish. I get that. But I'm telling you what preaching to a room with just staff in it <laughs> is depressing and debilitating. <laughs> We're meant to gather together. God, is there anyone in the house that's with me this morning? We're meant to gather together. And we're going to keep working our way toward that safely and respecting our testimony in the community. But something happens. Oh, that must have been an excitement. And then verses 5 and 6, this is really important. They adapted to their present circumstances. They adapted to their present circumstances. Okay, here's what happens in 5 and 6. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, the sacrifices for the appointed festivals. Um, Verse 6, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the temple had not yet been laid. We've not arrived. We've not arrived. There's some things we can't do yet in Ezra chapter 3. There's no holy place. There's no table of showbread. There's no holy of holies. There's no ark of the covenant where the blood is offered once a year for the sins of the people. But we're not waiting. Are you hearing me right now? We're not waiting till it's perfect. We're going to worship with what we've got and what's real around us. And we're going to take advantage of the moment. And they said, we're not waiting till it's all done. We're having church today. Hallelujah. We're having church today. I'm telling you, there's unity at the altar. And there's almost always unity at the altar because nobody's going to say, I don't believe in prayer. Nobody's going to say, I don't believe in worship. Nobody's going to say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in his spirit. If I say, come to the front, it may be hard for me to get you to raise your hands, but nobody that comes to church is going to say, I think we ought to quit praying. There'll be unity at the altar. Then they go to the temple. What's the temple? It represents the structure and the framework, the facilitation of worship, the mechanics of worship, how it's going to be done. I um, will never forget five initiatives I presented to a church that we were going to do, and they all passed at a vote of 95% and above. They were all for the altar. But when we started to build the temple around those, All of a sudden, people had opinions and didn't like what was happening. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, it's been great. Let's rip out the second half of chapter 3. We can't, though, because we we go to division at the temple. Now, verse 7, watch this. I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. Verse 7, they gave money. So it looks like we're still good. We've got, the, we've got the buzz of worship. We're enjoying the celebration. And people give money. And people who are worshipers are always givers. True worshipers are always givers. So they're still excited. They're giving money. They're celebrating. Um, uh, they, they bless the workers in Tyre and Sidon. Read there what happens. They bless them. They take food to them. This is a happy bunch. They're worshiping, they're giving, they're blessing the nations. They continue to give. Number two, they committed to the work in verses 8 and 9. They begin the work. They appoint supervisors. The work is intentionally organized. This looks like nonstop progress. We're going to build the temple. This is so great. Still, everybody is pleased. Everybody is happy. Happy. They're giving. They're organizing. They're in structure. They're going to build, verses 8 and 9. Then verses 10 and 11, they congregate to worship. The foundation is laid. Now you can read verses 10 and 11. The priests, the vestments, the trumpets, the Levites, the symbols all took their place. All right, you've got to see this. They've laid the foundation, it's done. And the vestments are ready. And the instruments are ready. It's the grand opening. And people, they've had a soft opening. Now it's the grand opening. And they're pumped. It is exciting. Now, this is a wonderful day. There's only two verses left. What could possibly go wrong? We're 85% of the way home. It's going to be easy from here. Not the beginning of a thing, it's the end of a thing. 85% is not 100%. Verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. You brats. Hallelujah. After everything that's happened. Taint how I remember it. Taint the way it used to be. Tell you how it was when I was a kid. Listen, they haven't had it for 70 years. It's been years and years since they've even seen a temple, but these older folks, and I'm telling you, it's not necessarily older folks that I'm picking on this morning. I'm not picking, I'm just telling you. When you're looking backward rather than forward, you'll destroy the work of God. When your dreams are when your memories are bigger than your vision, you'll destroy the work of God. Well, I remember, I remember in the days. I do too, I do too. But it wasn't that they remembered the past because we need to remember the past. They used the past to begin to criticize the present. And so while you've got a new generation that is so excited, they can't hardly stand it. They're singing. They're shouting for joy. They're thrilled with everything that's happening around them. Another group begins to weep. Let me talk to you for a minute. Church, this is for us. This is personal. This is directed at us. This could also be true about the church following COVID. I have no expectation that we will ever go back to the way it was. This has been culture shifting. It's been a seismic shift in our nation that I have never seen before and dreamed I would not see. What it will look like in the future. Why do you say that? Because they're already talking about the next pandemic and additional viruses that are starting to show up. And when you read about the end of times, listen to me, read your Bible. There'll be wars and pestilence. It's yes. yes. prophesied. So don't expect to go back and weep because it's not the way it used to be. We will lose the moment And we'll lose the future if our goal is to reclaim what once was. Our goal will be to be reinvented by God to be effective in what is and what shall be. When you read the book of Revelation, he is the one who was, he is the one who is, and he is the one who is to come. And we need to follow the one who is to come. So when are we going to get back to the way it was? I doubt that we will ever get back to the way it was. But if you weep over that, you'll destroy our future. Are you with me this morning? Oh, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. (laughs) I won't go there. Boy, I could preach right now. Uh, Boy, could I preach right now. (laughs) Please, don't be guilty of discouraging the next generation when you're on your way to the retirement home. Hello? Don't be grouchy. Don't be grumpy. They don't understand me. I have so, I get that. I understand that. There's more road behind me than there is ahead of me, but I'm gonna, t- there's a, a wind blowing up here right now, and I'm gonna tell you that I believe the best move of God has not happened yet. I'm telling you, the best churches have not been built yet. The most innovative ministries have not been released yet. And I don't want to stand on the side and weep because it's not like it was when I was there. I'm going to celebrate. They're building a new foundation. And it's a new day of worship. Let's celebrate that. They're weeping. They're weeping. Do we reject the past? No! Remember it! But don't be paralyzed by it. Because here's the tragedy. Are you ready? Here's the tragedy. Verse 13. No one could distinguish the sound or sh- uh, of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. They compromised their testimony. They confused and compromised their testimony. It's like the weepers tried to outweep the shouters. And the shouters tried to outshout the weepers. And division in the camp will always be an uncertain sound in the community. And people won't know what's going on at that place. That noise traveled a long way and division will travel a long way and when people hear it they won't be drawn they'll be confused because we compromised our message by fighting with each other over what god was doing now remember i've already told you anchor to the book their parameters i'm not talking about heresy talking about looking at a foundation that was built according to the word of god the law of moses and people couldn't get on board what a tragedy so i'm saying to you and i'm not i'm not not angry i'm just listening to us and i and this week when i read this chapter i thought god did you know this was going to happen this week Did, did you know that I've never preached through Ezra. I've never taught through Ezra. I've barely read Ezra because I read Nehemiah. That's the story, right? You come to chapter 3, and the work loses its testimony because they compromised their message by weeping over what God was doing rather than celebrating. So, church, this is a call to you. This is a prophetic call to you. Please don't ask me. Please don't ask me when we're going to get back to the way it was. I don't know. And don't you dare tell me that God can't move in this present situation. Don't you tell me that. Let me tell you what I do know. B.S.C. I walked around the outside to honor or not, and came up the back door to see my wife. And when Pastor Justin set up that room, are you kidding me? Look at that room. Everything in there is wrong. Chairs are six foot apart every direction. It looks like they're in timeout. <laughs> How in the world? And I prayed, I thought, dear God, give them wisdom. And I'm just glad I'm not up there. I've got my hands full of people in this room. As I walked up, Andy, I think it was you, came out and I'm looking around and people, there's just this aura. What in the world? Somebody died? What happened? And he looked at me and he said, I still have goosebumps over what happened at the end of the service. You can do everything wrong from the standards of man and the principles of ministry. But when God shows up, there's no distance, there's no division, there's no separation. There's only a holy move of God. And God is communicating with our youth and our young adults and in this place. That it doesn't matter what they require us to do. Let's honor that. But God can show up in the midst of that because he's not done. He's not been shut down. You don't have to be six feet from God because he's in the house. And my prayer is, God, I just want to hear from you. I want your wisdom and direction. I want us to rise from the rubble, from the ruins. I want this to be a place where Jesus is exalted. And I'm not going to let current circumstances steal my joy. I'm not going to cry in the corner. I'm going to shout at the altar that Jesus is still alive. And he's still working miracles to those. Stand to your feet, lift your hands, and give him praise right now. Lift your hands and give him praise. God's in the house. And God, we want to move into the, into the future with you. We will not become divided at the temple. We will not become divided over structure. We'll remain in unity at the altar through everything else that happens. Keep us one, dear Jesus.
2: I love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest nights you are close and like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God. Sing, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so good. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath, with every breath that I have made, I will sing of the goodness. I will sing of the goodness
0: I'll sing, Your goodness is running
2: after me. Oh, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me with my life laid down.
0: just the church. Lift your voice. With one voice we sing. All my life
3: Let me give you a present-day example of what I'm talking about. This song has recently come under attack from critics. His goodness is running after me. And here's the typical response. Then quit running. Quit running. Misses the point altogether. What is that song about? It's about the passion of God to pursue you, to love you, to surround you, and you can be a critic, and there's nothing biblically wrong with what that song says. This will be the anchor of my life. When they start singing about Buddha, we'll throw those out. When we start singing songs of Krishna, we'll throw those out. But I refuse to end my life weeping over yesterday's worship. I want to celebrate tomorrow's revival. And I invite you to join me in that process. There are times I needed his goodness to chase me down. Amen. All right, now the part I don't like. You can be seated. We are going to leave in order. And um, I also don't like the offering being at the end on your way out, but it is. We have an offering box here. And you'll notice there's a sign there that orders you to give here. It just says, <laughs> give here. If you want to give tangibly, you can do that. You can give online. We appreciate your support. And I'm just telling you, I'm so excited for what God is beginning to do, that worship is beginning to rise from the rubble, and we're going to see a great new day in God. Hallelujah. Have a wonderful